You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to the 12th episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Anna Wells and Jeff Ranke. We're editors of Manufacturing.net and Industrial Equipment News with about 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we take the five most popular stories on our websites and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going forward. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Jeff, how are you doing this week? I'm well. Anna, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Jeff. I don't believe either of you. No. (laughs) (laughs) Our top story this week. Our top story, by that I mean our first story. I got to switch that. That was so confusing. Yeah. Uh, Number five. Bush is hiring a dog beer tester. Hot one. Hot one. Last year, Bush released Bush Dog Brew, an alcohol-free bone broth that sold out within 24 hours. Now, the beverage company is looking to expand on the brand, and it needs help using a dog for taste testing. So, the Anheuser-Busch company has created a new job position for a dog in product development. The chief tasting officer will make a $20,000 salary along with health care and free beer. Anna. (laughs) This is my favorite story this week. (laughs) So cute. It's a feel-good story. It really is. Mm -hmm. And I always pictured unemployed dogs as being jealous of dogs with jobs. (laughs) Like, like, oh, that dog gets to sniff drugs at the airport. (laughs) (laughs) But if you have more of like a live and let live dog, then this job would be a great one, I think, mm-hmm. for your dog. Yeah, more of a more of a party animal. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. But I found it funny because they were saying that, you know, one of the qualifications you needed to have, uh, the dog needed to have, was an excellent palate. Like, they have any idea, yeah. like, how do you prove that as a dog? But um, really, if this is going to be like a brand ambassador, I think you really are looking for a dog that's not going to freak out when you film a commercial or something like anyone who's ever had an anxious dog. Could you imagine mm-hmm. them like being a brand ambassador? I don't see. That's why I didn't sign up my dog because yeah. if they just need something loud and uncontrollable, <laughs> I mean, I know like if they need a dog to like shake and shiver right? while they try to film it, that would be, yeah. Right. It has two sweaters on and yet Riggs is still yeah. shaking. <laughs> Um, but she's yeah, a, she's I, a wiry, wiry animal. Well, yeah, why really little guy? But mm-hmm. I, don't know, I, I thought it was fun. It was a pretty ingenious marketing campaign, obviously, because this isn't beer in any sense of the word. Mm-hmm. It's like a pork bone broth, as you said, and it's fifteen dollars for a four pack. So, I mean, this is sort of relegated to like the cute gift for dog people category, I think. Um, or if your dog has bad teeth, then mm. this is also a good option. Um, but you know, I think. Bush is probably the last company I'd go th- uh, to for nutritional advice um, for my dog. But our colleague Andy said his wife, who is a vet, got some for their dogs. So maybe that means it checks out. I mean, I mean, yeah, that, if there's ever a stamp of approval, it's got to be a vet, right? Right. Yeah. And there's I mean, the ingredients look pretty straightforward. There's no like horse meat in there. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I like it. I'm into it. Jeff, has the beer industry become so oversaturated? And attacked by craft breweries <laughs> that they need such a new market that they're going after animals. Maybe. Yeah. And quite honestly, if you wanted a more like, um, you know, 
refined taste once you go for a cat like they're going to be the ones that really let you know if this is good stuff or Mm -hmm. not because they're going to be sniffing and walking away but um anyway you know i I do think it is kind of on budweiser's part um looking for a new excuse me bush um looking for a new product a new target if Mm -hmm. you look at the do you guys know who the top three domestic beers um by production levels are which three if you had to guess, what do you think is the most highly sold domestic beer? I'd say, I don't know. Uh, Miller Lite? Bud Light? It is Bud Light. And oh. since 2018, they're down 7.3%. Ooh. Okay. Number two, any guesses? It's not Miller Lite. Coors? Coors Light. And they're down almost 6% since 2018. And Miller Lite is number three, and they're down about 1.5%. So the craft brews are taking a bigger piece of the market share. I know me personally, mm-hmm. outside of when we buy beer for softball, if I'm having it at home, I am spending a little bit more mm-hmm. and almost basically um, spending what I would on probably almost a 12-pack of domestic beer for a six-pack of craft beer. Mm-hmm. So they are losing some market share there, and especially even these these um, huge volume beers that when they're bought, they are losing some ground. So I do think this is, in some respect, I mean, it's like Anna said, it's a great grant. Uh, brand ambassador, great opportunity there to get some publicity. But also the reality is they do need to find a way to, to make up for some of these losses. Anna, will they find the new Spuds McKenzie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about him. Wow. Actually, what's he fun, doing now? Just fun kidding. fact, Spuds yeah. McKenzie was actually a, a female dog. Apparently there was some sort of controversy back in the day. You don't think that'd be a controversy now? Oh no! If they took a female dog I, and gave it a. Oh no! The brand would already be burned Spuds down. Spuds is, yeah. is you know asexual, yeah. right? I think so. I mean, I found it interesting looking at a little bit of the language that came with the contract because I'm like, well, it'd be really cool if this was actually uh, a little bit more involved, but it's not really. It's <laughs> a social media campaign that they're going to judge based on originality, creativity, relevance to the contest, um, and the winner will receive a twenty thousand dollar check. 10 four packs of this, so what, $150 worth of stuff, an $800 prepaid card that can be used to purchase pet insurance for your dog. So hmm. the healthcare is a, the healthcare plan is well similar to some of the other ones I've seen in the market. Does so, the dog have to be 21? Did they say that? No, the dog doesn't have to be 21 hmm. because likely dead. Yeah, but <laughs> would that be like three? Is that the equivalent? I think three. so. Yeah, yeah. yeah the dog has to be three. Dog. But one of you know one of the things that I think people don't understand is that you are signing off on everything for your dog to be owned by Bush for marketing. So you're signing off on the exclusive, worldwide, perpetual, irrevocable, unrestricted, royalty-free, sub-licensable, and transferable right and license to exploit your dog and any intellectual property rights in any media now or hereafter known. So. But you're going to get an $800 gift card. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so two final comments. Would it be like a real double-edged sword to be the ones looking at these submissions? Like you're going to see some real interesting stuff on one hand, but maybe I some don't know. concerning things on the other. I mean, you're part of the Bush marketing department and they come to you and they're like, hey, you got to be a judge. Great. What? Dogs. Yeah. On Twitter. Secondly, when are you going to learn to stay away from anything more than three syllables? <laughs> I don't know. This one, I was fine. Irrevocable. See, look at that. I just got too worked up. Um, Good recovery. But I don't think, I don't know. It would be interesting to talk to dog owners and see if they would sell their dog essentially for 20 grand. Yeah, I don't know. 
Because I would. No. <laughs> <laughs> Got two cats. I'd take half that. <laughs> Our fourth most popular story this week, arson blamed for Portland factory fire. The Portland Garment Factory has made a name for itself for sustainability, more than three syllables, and ethical labor. Owner and founder Britt Howard created zero-waste design and fabrication services used by Adidas, Nike, and Levi's. This week, its facility was burned down, and the plant was a total loss. Security footage showed an unidentified person set fire to a dumpster on the property and then walk away. The The investigation is underway. A GoFundMe page has raised $89,000 of a $100,000 goal to go toward replacing machines that were lost, paying employees, and putting a deposit down on a new space. Anna, this was kind of a heartbreaker. Yeah, it really was sad. I mean, the textile industry is well known for its sort of human rights abuses, especially globally in places like Southeast Asia, where there's a lot of mandatory overtime and super low wages and stuff like that, rough working conditions. Um, Portland Garment Factory, which is known as PGF, was a woman-founded company, and it stakes its business, as you said, on the foundation of living wage jobs and environmental sustainability. In fact, this facility was a zero-waste operation, which you don't hear much in the garment industry. Mm -hmm. So it really does feel like a big loss. And, you know, it, um, it came on the heels of another story uh, in early April, there's a garment factory in, I think, Dominican Republic um, that sort of made a lot of waves for being like an experiment to show the world that garment factory workers could be paid a living wage in the developing world um, and, and that that company could still survive. So that company is struggling big time. It's called Alta Gracia. And... Um, so that that's going on also behind the scenes, it's just sort of like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I know they're two completely different places is completely different circumstances, but you know, the garment industry is tough and you don't see a ton of it in the U S anymore. Mm-hmm. And to see a place that was like making it work. And it, I, I think they're going to recover. I mean, there's their GoFundMe is like blowing up. They're going to try to put a, a deposit down with that money on a new place to get back in business. They have some really high profile clients that they do contract work for. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they'll be fine, but it was just like, just kind of unnecessary and sad. Right. Yeah. And, uh, according to the GoFundMe page, they also said that a large number of the employees were female. There's a lot of women that worked at the business as well. Um, Jeff, I mean, it's a tough business to get into no matter what. Yeah. And you know, it's sort of one of the weirder elements of this is when I first saw the headline and, and started going into the story, I thought it was more another safety um, related oh. article, you know, another plant factory. And then you learn it's arson mm-hmm. and especially who was targeted. And it was, they were, I don't think there's any doubt this was a, a targeted crime that was committed. Do you think so? Did you watch the video? Like when I watched the video, it looks like a dude lit a dumpster on fire and then the building went. Okay, so maybe I should rephrase it. Maybe they weren't specifically targeting Portland oh. Garment, but they were looking to burn a building down. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and it is, and they've got a really crappy photo to try to identify the guilty parties. So yeah. bad. Yeah. The video footage is bad. Yeah. So it is. And it's, I think one of the things when we, what's interesting, and it's sort of a dynamic, I think, of the textiles industry is we look at all those big names. Mm. This was actually not a very big company. 13 mm-hmm. employees, um, from what I saw, um, about $600,000 in annual sales, but still surviving, um, doing, doing well, had a great name for itself out in the industry. And, and as we've alluded to, 
really doing things the right way from a, a waste prevention perspective, kind mm-hmm. of a case study, if you will, in that. I think what's also interesting is although they've got all this fund, GoFundMe and great public support, you're looking at an industry where the margins are so brutal. I mean, mm-hmm. so tight. So what does $600,000 in sales really re- translate to in terms of profitability? Mm-hmm. And what are they really going to need to rebuild? Now, they said they're down, they're not out, they're going to continue to fight and come back, but um, it's definitely going to be an uphill battle mm-hmm. just um, just to recover and get back to where they were. Well, I think that a lot of the charity stems from uh, a lot of people said that Britt Howard and the company did a lot of charitable contributions and was a pillar of the community. Uh, apparently, she was one of the first businesses that once the nationwide PPE shortage um, happened, she was one of the first companies to start making masks. Uh, so it just, it also sounded like she really helps startups. So she was, uh, the company was a place that people could go and she would help some of these um, fledgling companies kind of get off the ground and create a product. So maybe she has something with those businesses, but it seems like she has built a community around her as a result of her good acts that are going to support her and help her get back up and running in. At least that's my hope. Everybody's, yeah. Yeah. Our third most popular story this week. Stolen crypto cards lead to a high-speed boat chase. Customs agents in Hong Kong recently busted a fishing boat that was part of a smuggling ring transporting 300 NVIDIA CMP30HX graphics cards. The authorities pursued the smugglers at a two a- in a 2 a.m. high-speed boat chase. The CMP30HX cards have an estimated value, collectively, of about $220,000 and are a low-end product used to mine cryptocurrency. Local police have also found kits used to increase computer RAM. We've heard more about chip shortage hitting the gaming industry and the automotive industries, but it's also hit cryptocurrency miners hard. And, and I'm not sure that I care about that. <laughs> I've kind of made it my life's mission to die without ever fully understanding blockchain. So can you skip me? <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> from what I hear, you have a greater understanding of cryptocurrency. Well, in this circle, I don't know, maybe. Um, <laughs> Eric? <laughs> um, yeah, I think what, what caught me in here is just what was they were chasing these guys for, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, it's an interesting dynamic. And, and the thing about these cards, and you referenced it, it's a lower tier product. Mm-hmm. It's something that's not even sold in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it has no applications for video. It has no, or excuse me, gaming, because it has no video outputs or anything like that. The only thing you can use this for is like low-level processing um, for, for cur- cryptocurrency mining. Mm-hmm. And even with some of the new types of cryptocurrency, the processing speeds provided by these cards may, are going to make it painfully difficult. Right. But... It's almost like did the pandemic hit other criminal enterprises really hard as well? So <laughs> there's, like, yeah, there's no like, more cocaine oh, and gold. There's just we 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 can't yeah. sell drugs right now. People don't have enough money mm-hmm. to buy drugs. But maybe we can you know get some of these cards and, and do some crypto. <laughs> we mining. get the chips to mine the money to buy the drugs. There you go. Mm-hmm. You just your criminal mastermind. Don't <laughs> hey, don't drive by that cop now. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, you wrote the story and you'd mentioned that as something more of a, like a Jason Statham movie or uh, digital trends when they wrote it up, said it was something out of mission impossible, but you both got it wrong. This is right out of the departed. The departed were micro processors. You know what I mean? I can't argue that. No. I guess. I mean, <laughs> sure. Um, Anna, in the last three or three minutes, 
Anything, yeah. anything more on cryptocurrency? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I just like, <laughs> I, if I'm like kind of bearish on crypto. It's just not, I don't know. Like to me, like if you look at overall, like there's been a ton of cryptocurrencies that have failed, you know, I mean, for every Bitcoin that's out there, there's a lot of money wrapped up in like the equivalent of, I don't know, whatever failed currency you want to Google, but like um, Patty's bucks from Always Sunny and I mean, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, what was the one that Terry Crews just made that was like dollar sign something? Yeah, dollar power. Dollar power. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's like they're everywhere now, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know. It's just kind of sad to me to see people taking these kinds of risks, like a high speed chase with law enforcement to steal these processors, the value of which probably fluctuates wildly with the crypto market. And I don't know if like if it were gold bars, at least you know you're going to cover your gas on that boat by the time the chase is over. But, like, this stuff's so, like, volatile. I don't know. It just seems like, like, do you think it's going to hold its value, like, really long term? Do you, I mean, I'm seriously asking, like, your opinion on this, guys. I don't believe so. But I also also had people argue that it's the future of a global currency. So um, I would say maybe my my hedge would be not in our lifetime. Maybe my son's. Mm. I don't know. Jeff? Yeah, if it holds on. It seems like there's so many parts of this that could become corrupted. First of all, you've got to get universal acceptance of it. So it's got to be used not just for high-end things or things online, but everyday stuff. You need to be able to use Bitcoin for buying milk and bread. Mm-hmm. You can How use it to we? buy a Tesla. How, yeah, I mean, that's a start. <laughs> so I think it needs to get there first. And then I, it feels like before it's going to get there, there's too many opportunities for bad actors from a cyber uh, security perspective to get involved mm-hmm. instead of ripping stuff off. I know it's supposed to be more transparent um, in terms of being able to see where it's going, but I mean, <laughs> if it's if it's that if it's if it's this easy to use and move, mm-hmm. there's going to be people who get involved who just you know t- take it the wrong direction. So, so I, don't, I don't. I would agree with Anna. Yeah, uh, Tesla aside, do you see it becoming a viable currency that manufacturers should start accepting? I mean that's that's up to the the customer will answer that question right I mean if mm-hmm. you that's why Tesla is doing it they had must have had enough customers reaching out to them plus Musk is what do you, how much did he just invest in in oh like a billion yeah I think. Mm-hmm. huge amounts so mm-hmm. I mean he's almost propping up his own rate of exchange mm-hmm. so and he's in a position where he can do that okay Anna do you see distributors uh, allowing this currency for <laughs> transactions no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, maybe way, way in the future, but um, people have enough on their plates right now. I don't even see this as being like on anyone's radar, honestly. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) What? Great conclusion, David. Well, we really came through strong on wrapping that one up. Like, I mean, how many times going to say agreed? (laughs) He just took such a a deep breath. I was like, oh, he's got some. No, we're done. All right. Good. I concur. The second most popular story this week was about a Harley Davidson. Harley faces steep tariff hikes. In 2018, the European Union imposed new tariffs on U.S. motorcycles, but Harley was protected. These protections have been revoked and will raise the tariff from 6% to 31% immediately. In June, it will rise to 56%. Harley says the change will make it impossible to compete in Europe its second largest market after the U.S. Anna, this is a big hit for Harley. 
Yeah, there's no doubt it's going to impact Harley. I mean, just how much we don't really know. Um, Harley is a publicly traded company, of course, but it doesn't break out its sales quite so specifically to give us data on what they sell in Europe. Rather, they lump Europe with the Middle East and Africa. So while it's true that this segment is its second largest market, we don't know how much of it is actually going to be impacted by these tariffs. So that said, you know, Harley's had a tough run in the last few years. Between 2018 and 2020, the company saw its retail sales fall by 21%, which amounted to nearly 48,000 bikes globally. And that's in two years again. So, I mean, here's a company that we know is dealing with an unfavorable demographic problem. They're having a hard time, um, you know, with buyers aging out of motorcycles, essentially, and not being replaced by younger buyers. And I don't know, this is just another problem that Harley just doesn't need right now. No, I completely agree. Uh, Jeff, Harley's been trying a lot of things recently to try and keep up with the market that seems to be uh, leaving it behind. Uh, what do you think the impact will have on Harley? I think where it's going to hurt them the most is actually maybe the new live wire bike, the, mm-hmm. the, the electric bike that they're putting out. EU obviously has much has really embraced electric vehicle technology more fluidly, I say more, more wider spread than in the U.S. Obviously, we're very friendly for electric vehicles here. But in the EU, they're putting even stricter greenhouse gas emission levels in bigger cities, you know, effective within the next five years, I believe, in, in some of like when you're looking at London and even Paris. So I, I think that's where it's going to hurt them. And it does make me, not to get too conspiracy theory on this, but you do have some big bike makers in the EU. You've got Ducati, you've got BMW. They have a big market share there. So if Harley is bouncing back a little bit and this live wire would have an opportunity to really break into some of these European markets, maybe they are trying to shift some sort of home court advantage over to their own guys Mm -hmm. uh, in protecting that market a little bit because these escalations are ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this is preposterous to see this happen, especially to such a strong brand. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I could think of is this is also a way for them to make sure some of the, the bikes that are more traditional Harleys, non-electric versions, which, you know, even though they've made great strides in terms of making them more fuel efficient and, and emitting fewer emissions, they're still gas bikes. Mm-hmm. So this could be sort of a two-tiered almost attack on Harley. Um, I don't know. That that's, that's one of the things that first resonated with me when I saw this, mm-hmm. I guess. Well, not just Harley, but... I mean, Harley is actually kind of only feeling this pain now where other smaller motorcycle manufacturers have been dealing with this uh, ever since the tariff went into place. Uh, The CEO of Harley says that this underscores the very real harm of an escalating trade war on both sides of the Atlantic. The company has vowed to uh, file a legal challenge to the ruling. But uh, I don't know. I guess I didn't think of your point about trying to give them sort of an advantage to manufacturers in the EU. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like I said, it might be a little bit out there. I, I, when you look at market share, it does get a little fuzzy in trying to sp- pick out specifically market shares within those countries of the mm-hmm. European Union. But again, um, and it just see, it's it's interesting too because a lot of those other bike makers that do have a lot of market share come from Asia. So are they going to be seeing the same type of treatment? Mm-hmm. And where's the World Trade Organization involved in this? Because these types of increases um, seem, I don't know, it doesn't seem fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Anna, you had mentioned that they were down. I did see that its European sales were down 16%, a little over 16% from the previous year in 2020. Um, I'm sure the pandemic didn't help them at all. But uh, I mean, really, I mean, this is a, it's got to make a huge impact for Harley. Yeah, it didn't help them anywhere. 
the mm-hmm. pandemic. Um, although I found it interesting, the the place where their sta- their sales are the most stable is actually in Asia over the last couple of years. Really? So, you know, to your point, Jeff, as to like, if, if you know, if that's a, a steady market for them to like, what's to come if some of this stuff continues to escalate over there um, in China and such, we'll see. But if there's a person who can do it, this is the CEO who turned around Puma from near bankruptcy. So if you can turn around Puma, I'm sure you can do it with Harley. Puma, the like track suits, that thing? No. Athletic gear. The amazing shoes. (laughs) The exceptionally well-made cleats. I can remember being really excited about getting a pair of Puma shoes Mm -hmm. when I was in eighth grade. It still (laughs) carries preferred kick. Oh, come on. (laughs) No, but she really enjoys them. Our top story this week, Spanish police bust a gun 3D printing workshop. Spanish police uncovered the first workshop using a 3D printer to make illegal firearms in the country. One person was arrested in the Canary Islands after being linked to the workshop where the suspect allegedly made assault weapons using 3D printing. Besides the 3D printer, agents also confiscated components for 19 weapons made from 3D printing, several knives, chemicals that could be used in fabricating explosives, and objects with white supremacist symbols on them. Anna, we've been covering 3D printing guns for a while, Mm -hmm. but it's been a lot of tinkerers. This is the first time I've heard of a 3D printing workshop. Yeah. I mean, that was like... I mean, the the amount of stuff that's going on in there is a very alarming report, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think when it comes to, like, 3D printed guns, this is actually what people have been afraid of with 3D printing for so long. Like you said, there was so much coverage initially about um, what's going to happen with these and, you know, how people are going to create guns and stuff. And it just kind of got debunked a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it got debunked because people, you know, initially they were poorly made and they were blowing up in people's hands. mm -hmm. So it was like, hey, more power to you. Print a gun, blow off your hand. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, now that the technology has evolved, um, you know, it might be a way to fly under the radar a little bit further when trying to produce and sell the types of components needed to create a DIY gun. And, you know, like this took place in Spain, of course, but um, America, as we know, has its own issue with what, you know, what you call ghost guns and untraceable firearms. And uh, Biden just proposed a rule via a recent executive action that would curb ghost guns. Um, and according to experts, these guns are being used more and more by like militias and gangs, really kind of the kind of people who might struggle to pass a background check. Mm. And there's like literally a laundry list of high profile shooting incidents where ghost guns quote have been used though. The incidents of gun violence have reached such epic numbers here that um, experts are saying that Biden's actions on ghost guns will have a positive if limited impact so it's a little scary to think about like you know this is a worldwide problem um the technology that is helping us advance as a society in so many ways is also facilitating some of this black market stuff that could be super super dangerous right no it's uh jeff this is why we can't have nice things well this story is sort of Perfect and horrible at the same time. Because, How is it perfect? Well, because it, it definitely illustrates the issue very, very clearly. But it's even more horrible because it really supports both sides of the gun control argument. Mm-hmm. On one side, you can say, well, look, this is why we need to limit 
these types of activities and these types of weapons because they fall into the hands of bad actors. These folks are obviously, I mean, they're anti they're white supremacists, right? Yeah. Um, linked to other criminal activities, violent activities. And then you're also going to have people who are, who don't want these controls saying, well, it's not the guns, it's the people. Mm-hmm. They're, it's the wrong people. You can't just take this away from everybody when it's just these bad actors that are giving it a bad name. The reality is this technology could have really amazing, amazingly positive impacts when you look at military applications. Mm-hmm. To be able to print the part you need, if you lose your firing pin, you know, when you're cleaning your rifle and you're in the field, to be able to pretty print one out instead of just trashing the whole weapon and mm-hmm. needing a new one, there's there's a number of, of different ways where this could have such positive impacts. And we covered this also on the website, This uh, the, some of the early testing that's going on right now with, with an Army unit. So it's just, like you said, we can't have nice things because somebody is going to ruin it. Mm-hmm. And then you've also got people, and I think you're going to talk about some of these guys who just, man, just take every make take every opportunity to just blow things out of proportion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, definitely Cody Wilson, yeah. who is kind of, I mean, for lack of a better term, the forefather of ghost, ghost guns or 3D printed guns. He was the first person to publish the plans uh, on his website, Defense Distributed, uh, as some sort of uh, First Amendment play. Uh, and <clears throat> while I understand what he was saying, uh, you know, he was doing it more... Uh, as an agitator than an actual uh, First Amendment supporter. Uh, The one thing that I would like to say is that if you go to his site now, you can check out his new book, The Gun Printer's Guide to Thinking Free, a startling manifesto, philosophical manifesto, for the 21st century on freedom of information. Also on his website, he misspelled guide. (laughs) He is a little bit misguided. No, it's, uh, I mean... It's really hard because not just guns. I think we can't talk about 3D printing. I think it's even tricky to talk about 3D printing guns in the battlefield because really where it's a powerful technology is where you have these 3D printing hubs for any part that goes bad. You know, oh, of course. Like Saab is testing, uh, actually using it for external parts on jets that go bad, you know, being able to print the part and yeah. uh, rivet it in. Um, so it is a very powerful technology. And then things like this happen that just put a stain on it that people use as a talking point. This is nothing more than, well, not nothing more, but this is a talking point against additive manufacturing that is going to be a very powerful force in the future of making in the world. And and how do you regulate this? You'd have to have some sort of monitoring technology, and then you get into all of those privacy issues and and Mm -hmm. Big Brother and all that. So it's, like I said, it's a good story because it brings the issue to light, but you could argue it both ways based on what you're seeing in this story. Mm-hmm. And just not to not to sharpshoot you, but just mm-hmm. to prevent any commentators from mm-hmm. or commentators mm-hmm. any comments from coming in. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's the Second Amendment that gives us the right to bear arms. So let's move on to our next segment. <laughs> Anna, <laughs> in case you, I missed in it, in case you missed it this week, what do you got for us? Uh, so we all saw this story. I think. Um, a Tesla crashed last week and burned for hours after hitting a tree. And the first responders discovered that there were two occupants, neither of whom were in the driver's seat, Mm. um, which has led to a lot of discussion, I think, since. So we've talked about Tesla's autopilot before and the dangers of the public not using the technology as it was intended to or to its abilities. 
Um, so the latest on this is that Consumer Reports did a few tests uh, on a Tesla um, since this incident, and their engineers were able to operate a Tesla on autopilot without anyone in the driver's seat. And they say that there were no alerts or alarms that went off to indicate this. Um, but Consumer Reports kept the driver's seat belt buckled and put a weight in the driver's seat. So mm. I don't know. There's that. Yeah. But either way, this will not help the investigations that are already underway that are looking into this accident, among others. But interestingly, earlier in the week, Elon Musk took to Twitter to say that Autopilot was not engaged in this accident, for what it's worth. Though, I feel like everyone with any kind of influence seems to have already jumped to the conclusion that Autopilot is the problem. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that it's not a problem, just that it may not be this particular problem. Um, So I don't know. It's just, it's not... It, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time, and there's been a lot of high-profile Tesla incidents um, with autopilot. And I feel like this is actually doing more potentially to bring down autopilot um, than some of the incidents that actually involved autopilot. It's just a very strange situation, and there's been a lot of scrutiny just in just a couple of days since this happened. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, more bad news for Tesla. Well, and you, it's almost to Ish. a point. And this sounds ridiculous, but what's going to get a solution quicker? They brought in two different government agencies yeah. to investigate this crash. And it's the first time they were both called in at the same time to, to look into this. Or if you just incentivize Tesla in some way to figure this out mm-hmm. or stop put it, making it available until they get it figured out. Mm-hmm. Like, which one would be more effective? And at this point, it feels like even though Musk loves attention, give him some sort of incentive to like, hey, man, just shut it off. Yeah. Turn it off for now. Wait till it's right. Yeah. Let us work with you to make that because otherwise people are doing dumb things. This wasn't Tesla's fault. Yeah. This was people doing ba- dumb things Yeah, and bad things happen, which is tragic and unfortunate. I, th- I think that's the defense to your own argument where he's just going to come back and be like, I can't stop people from doing dumb things. If I turn this off, they'll start driving it with a stick without a driver. Yeah. Okay. But that's not going to get autopilot in the headline. Yeah, that's true. Jeff, yeah. what, what's your in case you missed it this week? So mine was Amazon rolling out this pay by palm. Yeah, this method. is pretty crazy. And uh, they're, they're using it in New York, a uh, store near their headquarters in New York. The technology is called Amazon One. And according to the story, it lets shoppers scan the palm of their hand and connect it to a credit card or Amazon account. Wait one. Mm. Privacy experts have warned against the use by companies of biometric data, such as face or palm scans, because of the risk of it being hacked and stolen. That was the first place my brain went with this. Like, this seems too easy. Maybe I've seen too many of those movies you were talking about before, the Mission Impossible stuff, Mm -hmm. where people are stealing fingerprints and palm scans in order to get into places they're not supposed to. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to know what you're ordering, but I could really get a bunch of stuff off and charge it to your Amazon account or, like, millions of other people's very easily without being caught it seems like with this type of approach this this kind of scares me a little bit Mm -hmm. that they're rolling this out and the fact that somebody would feel comfortable with it is kind of amazing to me Mm -hmm. um it's it's like at what point do some of because the bigger picture here is like do some of these companies just think they're above all of this Mm -hmm. we're just talking about tesla they're you know not ignoring autopilot issues, but basically thinking, I'll get it figured out. Just relax. Yeah. Is that kind of what Amazon's doing here when people are being like, dude, this is a bad idea? And they're like, no, 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 no. We, we can make it work because we're Amazon. 
I think it's a natural progression. People are already using a lot of biometric data for security. So, I mean, if you can use a facial scan to turn on your phone and use your palm to pay for something, I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like as we find, as we use tech to make it easier to pay for things, I mean, how you can, uh, what's the one where you can just pay with your phone by touching it, like Google Pay or Apple yeah. Pay? You know, I feel like all of these are very susceptible. And, uh, you know, this is just the next one. And, and I guess and I don't want to take a Anna's time here, but like to me that feels different because that's still a device. There's still like hardware there. This is just, I mean, you, if you can get into somebody's Amazon account or something else, there's so much personal data you can steal that way. It just seems easier. Yeah. I don't know. Anna, do you feel that the data is already out there and if people wanted to actually target you and get it, they could? Mm. I mean, I think we could try to stop them. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we need to just be like, cool. Okay. Here. Um, no, I, I like, I agree with both of you. Cause like Jeff, this gives me like the heebie jeebies, but like to David's point, like I, I, I feel like we trend like sort of down this slippery slope of our comfort level with certain, I mean the facial recognition stuff, like, I mean, 10 years ago, what was the dialogue like about that? And now people will casually unlock their phones with their face. Mm-hmm. Um, you just get used to it, I guess. The slow rollout of this stuff, people just get used to it. And I'm not into that, like the biometric stuff. I feel like I would rather have somebody steal my credit card than take me hostage to like... <laughs> than your palm print. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, and that's such a like viewpoint that you get from like watching a lot of movies like about the future a dystopian future Mm -hmm. but i don't know i mean my mind kind of goes there a little bit at least like ooh, like uh, i mean talking about facial recognition our personal information has been currency for a long time anytime we could use our personal information to receive things news newsletters anything in in exchange and i feel like this is just part of that slippery slope where it's like Okay, well, you know, it's going to be real easy, actually. All you do is put your hand here and you pay for it. And I don't, I think the vast majority of people are going to be like, this is easier. Great. Yeah, it kind of scares me. I don't know. It just, and so I don't know say, enough technic. Yeah. I don't know enough technology to know why this seems more likely to, to create a privacy or information disaster. It just does. So when you said hacking, were you talking like, you were still talking about like, like software hacking, right? You weren't talking like we're taking a piece and we're just gonna like because I feel like if you go into an Amazon store okay. holding up someone's hand, they're gonna be like, "Now wait a second, sir." There's nobody there though. It's all automated. There's, all there's no customers. There's no people. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're not hey, paying attention. Uh, look at that gentleman with someone else's hand. Have you been around millennials lately? <laughs> Whoa. I, mean, I tell you what, I'm going grocery shopping later today and I'm going to keep a keen eye for people holding hands or other appendages. You know, the guy with the eye on the pen in case there's an eye scanner. Um, well, it got gruesome. <laughs> Top that, David. I can. <clears throat> so my in case you missed it this week <clears throat> comes from a story that started in March when an Israeli team of researchers grew mouse embryos in artificial wombs that were essentially bottles. Legitimate test tube babies. They grew them for 11 days, which was the longest a mammal embryo has ever been grown outside a womb. In April, 
a U.S. and Chinese team successfully grew embryos that included both human and monkey cells in plates to a stage where organs began to form. Real-life chimera. Why this is important is because if scientists can grow human cells in monkeys or other animals, it should be possible to grow human organs as well, which would help with the global organ shortages. The author of this piece was Sahatra Sarkar from the University of Texas at Austin. He says it's just a matter of time before mammal embryos can be brought to term outside the body. So two really crazy things here. We're talking about growing human organs inside another animal and growing essentially test tube babies in a real test tube. Now, it brings up a lot of arguments about what is possible versus what is ethical. And I mean, we're talking about real test tube babies that, you know, in 10 years, this could be as normal as like using IVF or in, v- in vitro fertilization. Yeah. So I just thought he really shined a light on the implications of uh, what research is capable of and why there are ethics boards that they need to report to. And part of this seemed really fascinating to me because I still hang on to the fact that I'm going to need a liver grown in something at some point. And also, you know, as someone who has used help uh, to have a child, you know, I don't want to make it seem like I'm being closed minded if but the idea of growing a baby outside of the body troubles me. Anna, your thoughts? Holy cow. Way to keep it light. Not a cow. Not a a cow. These are still mice and monkeys. This is a. Just a light debate to close out the hour. Anna, the implications of humanity. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for going first. I want to talk about what animal would your new liver come from? Monkey, clearly. <laughs> and this would have to be like a former circus monkey who was a drinker and smoker himself, so he can really give me a hearty one. So you then you would need like a new, new liver like a couple of years well, what later. If, what if you got back to that dog beer tester? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he would be an adequate cap- candidate as well. I should actually have it written into the Bushlight Bushlight uh, privacy policy. There you go. Like, we can also <laughs> grow livers in your drug con- beer consuming dog. Um, no. So, Jeff, what do you think? I, the one. <laughs> <laughs> so, is he, I guess the one point of clarification. I think this is where the ethical dilemma comes in for me. Are we creating life to harvest organs? That see, that's where this could naturally kind of converge. But no, right now we are um, similar to like growing ears on mice. We yeah. would grow organs inside mammals. But and this would still be the way that they pose it is that the test tube growing, you know, would uh, be for let's say a mother that uh, could not viably grow a baby inside of her. I think when you look at the potential to be able to create an organ that somebody would need for a transplant situation, we're kind of make joking about your liver, but if it was a, a, yeah. a serious situation, I mean, that's amazing technology to save somebody's life mm-hmm. and have a positive impact on numerous other people's lives. So in that respect, it, this seems incredible. Mm-hmm. When we start, oh boy, talking about creating, creating life, you know, not using a human I mean, there is, boy, that's a, that. So the argument is that you are, it's tech, it's like out of body in vitro. So because you are using, you're taking two human hosts 
to make it and then grow it just out of the body. I think the scariest part for me would be like the testing that process to see if they can actually make it happen, Mm -hmm. you know, because potentially if there are some negative side effects there, you still got a life that Mm -hmm. you would need to um, preserve and and care for. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is is, Mm -hmm. ethically complex. Yeah. I don't see it. A whole, this is a whole episode here almost. I mean, there's a lot of ways to go. I don't, I don't feel like I can do it diligence as a closing thought in a couple <laughs> seconds here. Well, do you remember? I, I don't remember when IVF became a thing. Do you remember the controversy that surrounded that when it came out? I don't remember a lot of controversy. I know that people do have very deep-seated opinions on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because we're, I think the fact that it's still a woman giving birth to a, a human being mm-hmm. and all, you know, to, to use some crude language, all the ingredients are the same. Mm-hmm. Um I think it was less controversial. Just had people have certain very steady opinions about it. It's very, very heartfelt opinions on it. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember the, as much controversy, but um, you know, and plus I think it's it's proven to really be so positive mm-hmm. um, for for quite a while. Right, right. Well, um, sorry for the complex downer. Could be an upper. Could be an upper. <laughs> um, there's a lot of positive yeah, potential yeah. here. No, I just uh, re run a lot of these stories about really cool research that comes out. And a lot of times it makes sense because it's a technology that is, you know, they're trying to fight cancer with nanorobots or, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to treat other diseases with, you know, on-site in-body drug delivery. And they're not, you know, they're pretty simple. It's just like, that sounds great. But then there are researchers that are working on stuff like this where you're just like, what again? What mm-hmm. are you doing? Yeah. Like, but there's the person in the bottle. When does it come out of the bottle? Anyway, moving on to final thoughts, because there's no other suitable transition. Um, (laughs) Anna, what's your final thought this week? Um, I was excited this week because, um, and I know, Jeff, you can make fun of me for talking about the environment again. Um, But uh, Earth Day was this week, and for once it didn't just like come and go with every platitude that happens every year, but the U S is making a sizable jump in its goals for reducing carbon emissions. And that was like a really big highlight of the week. I thought, um, really helps you sleep a little better at night, knowing that like, um, the U S is trying to take a leadership position here and they're, they're putting down some really ambitious plans to do so. So I'm excited about that. I got to say, I went real lazy on earth day and I just kind of Googled how to fund a tree being planted. Oh, you, so you're just going to pay someone to plant a tree? A seed in the ground <laughs> is a seed in the ground. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> I put gas in my car. <laughs> uh, actually, no, uh, on the way to work, on the way to work today, uh, uh, gas, a uh, can of gas fell off a work truck Ooh. and like splashed. And I'm like, I think this is where the fiery death happens. But uh, we just cruised past and I felt like I should have gotten out to pick that up, but it seemed real dicey. Yeah, you're good letting that one go. You're okay. okay. I, would. I mean, someone else grabbed me, right? Yeah. Um, Jeff, your final thought this week. So I'm not trying to turn this into the equivalent of like staff picks at Blockbuster or anything, but <laughs> I did finally break down and get the Disney Plus oh, streaming service, yeah. and the Marvel stuff is fantastic. So yeah. if you are a comic book dork like me, you will love it. Yeah. That's great. No, um, I mean, uh, one of the things that I like, my final thought this week, is uh, it's just nice to be able to get outside a little bit. Uh, you know, living in Wisconsin... Not trying to get too regional on our perspective, but it's just nice to be going outside and not having to grab a coat and uh, 
just we had some weird weather the other day where the sun was shining and it was snowing. Yeah. So, you know, it still gets pretty weird in April, but uh, I'm looking forward to spring and summer. <laughs> Without a doubt. And even though the curse continues ever since you said it was great to play <laughs> softball again, we got, <laughs> we yeah. got canceled again. And it's just yeah. like, I mean, the fact that people say they can't play softball in, less, in sub 40 degree temperatures is nonsense. <laughs> you're just you're just more of a man than us, David. I don't know. I admit, yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, if you could please make sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast. And if you want to email any of us, most likely people like to email Anna. Uh, it's Anna, Jeff, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our newsletters. We'd really appreciate it. For Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti, and this is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.